Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. In Ireland today, agriculture, uh, as we know, uh, is responsible for approximately 32% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Methane is the main driver of these emissions, with almost two-thirds of greenhouse gases from agriculture arising from, from methane. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Sinead Waters, who is Principal Research Officer with Chagisk, based in the Animal Science Bioscience Department in Chagisk Range, who will discuss today the development of strategies to reduce methane emissions from agriculture. Sinead, good morning to you. How are you? Good. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me and the opportunity to speak today. You're very welcome. Uh, Sinead, you're joining us from Galway. You're not, uh, you're a stone's throw from me today. You're uh, down by the coast. Uh, Sinead, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in Chagask? Sure. So as you said, Mark, I'm a Principal Research Officer in Chagask and the Animal Bioscience Department. So the focus of my research is essentially on the microbes that exist in the rumen or the belly of the animal and its role in enhancing feed digestion, feed efficiency, and also importantly, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture. And that's the path really that I got into uh, methane emissions research. Um, so at the moment, I am working on a lot of projects uh, funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marines here in Ireland, funded by Chagask, funded also by the EU, on trying to understand the role of the microbes in uh, producing methane emissions, but also in using that information to try and develop methane abatement strategies or uh, strategies to reduce methane emissions from agriculture. Uh, and this could be, we're involved in, uh, in work with the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation, which I'm going to speak about today, also with work on developing um, options for, for feed uh, um, additives to reduce methane emissions uh, from uh, beef, dairy and sheep. Uh, and uh, and also in uh, we're work, planning on some work on looking at multi-species swars as another option. Uh, so that's that's really what we're working on. So I, I come from from a molecular biology background, uh, and that's the the route where I got into to working in methane emissions research. Brilliant. Really looking forward to your presentation. So uh, Sinead, I think we we'll go straight to the presentation, and uh, if you could share your screen with us, sure. and to remind everybody, if you have a question for Sinead, or if you'd like to to put through a comment, uh, please do use the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen so we can see your screen perfectly there now, Sinead. So uh, we'll hand over to you and we'll talk to you afterwards. Thanks, Mark. So uh, just in relation to methane emissions, more recently, uh, methane emissions comes with very negative connotations. So today I want to speak about some of the strategies that we are working on uh, in potentially trying to reduce methane emissions from agriculture uh, and the research that's going on in Chagask and elsewhere uh, that can hopefully help us to reduce methane emissions. So just by way of an introduction, uh, we're facing a major challenge in agriculture and that we're feeding a rapidly increasing global population projected to rise about 10 billion by the year 2050. However, at the same time, we're under international pressure to reduce the environmental footprint of this agriculture. And we hear about it all the time in the media. So what is methane emissions? So the sources of methane emissions are uh, from ruminants, from the fermentation or digestion of feed, uh, from management of organic waste and manures, and also from in, in Asia, from the rice paddy cultivation. And that's how it's defined uh, in terms of by the IPCC. So when I say biogenic sources, I mean the biological sources of methane. Agriculture is responsible for about nearly 33% or a third uh, of Ireland's uh, GHG emissions, as Mark said earlier. And methane accounts for the majority of greenhouse gas emissions uh, from agriculture, therefore. The sources in Irish agriculture include enteric fermentation or the breakdown of feed in the rumen or the belly of the animal. And also another roughly 10% comes from stored slurries and manures. However, reducing methane emissions is going to be key to meeting our EU targets on climate change. And you would have heard from Dale Cramman in the Department of Agriculture in recent webinars describing the pressure we're under to reduce methane emissions. As you'll see here from, from this graph um, from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, the blue part of the chart here is, is refers to the enteric fermentation. So this is basically the sources, the total emissions of agriculture, and enteric fermentation accounts for a very, very large proportion of that in the blue portion of the bars here. 
So methane is the second most important greenhouse gas that's implicated in global warming after CO2. And it has a global warming potential, or a GWP 100, as we say, of 28. So it's potentially 28 times more potent than CO2. Now, this metric uh, for a way of measuring methane is, is quite controversial at the moment. And I'll talk later in the slide in the presentation about other potential metrics you could potentially use, because this, in with methane, the actual persistency in the atmosphere uh, is a lot shorter than CO2 and other greenhouse gases into also. A big problem in production is that methane is responsible for a loss of feed energy in the animal. So it results in feed inefficiency. So for, for the animal, producing methane is a very wasteful process. So any efforts to reduce methane emissions will be of benefit to the production and the performance of the animal. As I said, we're under international and national mitigation commitments. Now, internationally, with the Paris Agreement, we're under, under international commitment to limit global warming to well below two degrees and pursuing efforts to really bring it under 1.5 degrees. By the EU, we're hopefully uh, going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 by 40% based on 1990 levels. And Ireland is, is required to reduce it by 30% at least. And there's also a requirement for a 2% decrease in national GHGs per year, going from 2020 to 2030. Uh, as you would have heard from the, from the department, there's also the Ni National Climate Action Plan that says we need to reach ca uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, and you would have heard from Dale on the, the uh, climatized document that the government has produced in 2019. And that really requires us by 2050 to be carbon neutral, but also to have reductions in the area of tw 24 to 47% when we're talking about methane. So how is methane produced? It's produced here, as you'll see in the diagram, when feed is ingested by the animal, it gets into the rumen, and uh, this large belly part of, of the animal here, uh, so the plant material or the concentrated feed gets into the rumen and there's bacteria in that rumen that digest the feed. But as during that feed fermentation process, uh, uh, hydrogen and CO2 is produced. The methanogens, another group of microbes in the rumen, use this hydrogen and carbon dioxide to produce a, um, a, another a chemical or a compound called methane. And this methane is then emitted from the animal. And this is our, our potent greenhouse gas that we're talking about, about today. So it's produced in the, in the rumen or the belly of the animal by a process called rumen methanogenesis. And this is just the, 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 the formula involved and the, the methane is there in red. So when I talk about CH4 for the rest of the presentation, you'll know that I'm referring to methane. So in, this, in the belly or the rumen of the animal, it contains lots of different groups of, of microbes. And these include bacteria, archaea, and uh, uh, anaerobic fungi. So the anaerobic fungi and the bacteria play a major role in the feed digestion, ma mainly the bacteria, uh, as I spoke about earlier. The, uh, the ciliate protozoa produce a lot of hydrogen. And then the archaea and the methanogens I spoke about, they actually use a lot of this hydrogen to produce uh, methane. We know less about the viruses, but there is some exciting research in that area also. So fibrolytic are microbes that break down fiber in the feed, uh, produce a lot of, um, pr produce basically the, uh, the methane, that pr produce the hydrogen and the CO2, and then the methanogens, as I said, go on then to produce the methane. So methane emissions, if we're going to study methane emissions and try and find strategies to reduce it or abatement strategies as they speak about, we need to be able to measure it very uh, accurately. And there's different methods to measure, measure methane. And we have different types of projects, be it out in, on pasture, um, where we need to measure it, or else indoors. So we have different types of, uh, of measurement strategies or, or types of equipment to measure it. And I will say that in only recent, recently that we've got to, you know, some equipment to measure methane, we haven't had a huge amount of resources in terms of methane measurement equipment in Ireland in very recent times. And it's through a number of, of research projects um, that we got some, some equipment. Um, we have the respiration chamber, which is a large box that the animal goes into that you can measure methane and oxygen and CO2. It goes into this box for, for, for a number of hours. Um, out of the field, we have what we call the SF6 system uh, and tracer. So they have a little canisters or like a little backpack on the back of the animal uh, and that they use that while they're grazing. And then you can bring it into the lab and measure the methane that's, that's emitted. What we use more so in our projects at the moment is a green feed system. 
And this can measure methane usually indoors, but it can also be bought outdoors, as I'll show you from some other colleagues of mine in Moorpark are bringing it outdoors to, to measure methane in pasture-based systems. So this is a very useful, they're using this internationally in, in, in Canada and in Europe. Uh, and basically it, when the animal comes in to feed, they can measure, measure the methane. And usually it takes a, a long uh, number of weeks, maybe probably between th roughly three weeks to get accurate measurements of methane. The next thing I could talk about is reporting methane output, because you see methane being reported using different types of, uh, of ways to report it. We often refer to daily methane output, which is methane, the grams of methane produced per day. The methane yield, which is the grams of methane um, uh, per kilogram of dry matter intake. So we know that methane production is very uh, dependent on feed intake. They're related. So it's important that we actually control for, for dry matter intake when we're doing our measurements. So that's the methane yield. Also, uh, we talk about methane intensity. This is an important measurement because it's the grams of methane per uh, per kilogram of carcass weight. And carcass weight in, in beef production um, is, is, is what we measure. But if this is dairy, it'd be a, a, a milk protein is what we would use in this case. Um, but it, for, for beef production, uh, it's carcass weight that we measure. So this is important because it's, it's based on output. So how are we going to reduce methane emissions from agriculture in Ireland? This is the big question. So I'm going to just talk about some of the strategies starting off from, from feed efficiency or from farm efficiency, going right through to some, some of the exciting technologies we're developing in research projects. The first thing you need to do is have improved management practices or improved farm efficiency. And you hear the talk, hear talk about this all the time, and it's actually detailed um, in the Chagas MAC curve or the Chagas marginal abatement cost curve. And some of the things they talk about there are the practices include extending the length of the grazing season, increase, increasing dairy cow genetic merit by the EBI, um, optimizing age at first calving, increasing the daily live weight gain of beef cattle and lambs, uh, in optimizing the calving and lambing rate, uh, and having then a lower age at which the animal is slaughtered. And ICBF are talking about this a lot more, more recently as a way, as obviously if the animal is on the ground for less time, um, you know that we have less methane emissions produced. Also, I'll talk about manure management is extremely important as manure is another source uh, of methane emissions. If we look at the MAC curve uh, produced by Gary Lanigan and Trevor Donlan in, the, in, in 2019, looking at, uh, at improved farm, farm management, we can see that methane abatement could be estimated to be reduced by about 1.85 millitons of CO2 equivalents. That's how, that's how methane is measured in the inventories uh, per year. And these are cost negative strategies and not only are they cost negative strategies, they actually improve your profitability on farm. So it's a win win situation to improve your farm efficiency. So some of the things then we're looking at moving on to the future, some of the things that we can add to these farm efficiencies include breeding initiatives. Uh, and we, Chagask and ICBF together are working and collaborating on trying to develop um, breeding strategies so you could have breed for low methane emitting uh, animals. This goes hand in hand as well with feed efficiency. There's a direct relationship between uh, methane emissions and feed efficiency. Animals that are more feed efficient, and that is require less feed for a certain amount of gain, uh, these all animals will also uh, produce less methane. So again, another win-win situation. So the strategy should be really from a breeding perspective to breed animals that are more feed efficient and produce less methane. Some of the work that I'm involved in myself is in trying to develop new feed additives. Uh, so these basically are dietary feed additives to reduce methane emissions. And the important thing here is that these would be able to be cost-effective, have no negative effects on meat and milk products, uh, and can easily be uh, de uh, delivered on farm, um, and also be able to be delivered on pasture, which is a critically important thing for our production systems. So that would involve having developing things like a slow release option um, that could, or a slow release bolus that would be given to the animal um, you know, at certain times of the year. Another thing I'm going to talk about is multi-species swords. So there's a lot of work in Moorpark and a lot of work internationally as well. And we're going to be starting a project in Grange on this soon on using multi-species swords, uh, sometimes in combination with additives, and to see does that reduce methane emissions. So breeding strategies. We know that the sustainability of ruminant livestock production can be enhanced 
uh, by including methane emissions output in the index. I think this will be very important going, going forward, and ICBF are very uh, engaged in this process. And good breeding decisions are cumulative and permanent, so that's important. And we know from the literature that, that breeding is an effective long-term solution for reducing methane emissions. And internationally, that would be that would be what is expected. So what's involved? So also in Ireland, when we we're trying to um, develop breeding strategies, what did we need to do? We need to record the measurement, which is methane measurements on large numbers of animals. We need to collect DNA from those animals and identify genetic markers associated with methane emissions. And these could then feed into genomic selection program. We also need, as the, it's the microbes that produce the methane in the rumen, we need to have an enhanced understanding of the role of both the rumen microbes and also the diet that the animals are on, uh, on methane emissions. And we have a lot of projects working in this area. And another important thing, if we develop, if breeding strategies are developed, um, you know, with beef cattle indoors uh, on concentrated feed, we also need to make sure that these breeding strategies are effective and tested on pasture-based systems. So some of the research projects we're involved in. So myself, I have, we have a project called Rumen Predict, which is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marines, and that's an AirNet project. Also, we have a project called MASTER, which is an EU Horizon 2020 project. Uh, and these are international collaborative projects, and their aim is to, to, to link the rumen microbes, the host genetics and performance to benefit methane mitigation strategies. And we're collaborating with, with UCD, the ICBF, uh, and other institutions with this effort. And this, these projects have allowed us to buy equipment uh, into, into both Tully uh, and performance testing station uh, in County Kildare and Chagas Green to be able to measure methane in large numbers of animals. So this has been very effective in, in recent years. So the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation, as most people will know, is the organization in charge of recording and processing all the data in Irish cattle breeding, measuring, so measuring meat in large numbers of animals, it, it was uh, naturally through collaboration with the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation that this had to happen, so that there are partners in these projects. Also, uh, my colleague Professor Jonah Berry is leading a big project called Green Breed, which is funded by DAFM, and that is also, uh, a lot of that work is based in, in Tully as well, where they're developing breeding strategies for low methane emitting sheep and, and cattle. And the, through all these projects, we've been able to, I suppose, purchase and, uh, and get equipment set up to measure methane. We also have uh, portable accumulation chambers uh, that are run by, by Dr. Fiona McGovern in, in Athen Rye. We're measuring um, methane measurements on sheep also. So there's breeding programs, hopefully in pipeline as well for, for sheep. So in Tully, which is the Irish, Irish uh, ICBF progeny testing station, um, they perform tests on over 600 beef cattle per year of various breeds and various sires. Uh, they measure feed intake, feed conversion efficiency, average daily gain, and they're linked to projects to measure meat quality also. And the cattle undergo a 120-day finishing period. So this serves as a really ideal opportunity to build in another measurement on top of these measurements uh, where we could actually have methane measurements. So we could actually do some correlations with these other traits, and we can look at the effect of methane measurements on those other performance traits, and also ideally uh, we can actually also collect DNA samples and, and work on developing genomic selection breeding programs. There's a 30-day acclimatization period, there's a 90-day feed efficiency period where feed efficiency is measured, which is very useful. And then we do a 21-day methane measurement uh, period using the green feed systems. The steers and heifers, uh, they feed on hay, concentrate and hay diets. Um, we have green feeds installed. We have at least uh, six installed now, at least, and not, if not more coming and being... being um, being, people being trained up on them. So this is, this is a great initiative. Uh, and then we'd have samples collected where we can actually collect rumen samples from the animal. And these are analyzed to see what microbes are in there in what abundance uh, in the rumen of the animals. And that's done in Chagosk. So just looking at some of the, of the research to date and the output from this research, Already we have looked at 400 beef cattle have been sampled. Uh, and this is through a project that one of my students has, uh, Paul Smith, who's doing very good work there, and Stuart Kerwin, uh, they go to Tully and do a lot of this work. Um, also the cattle are producing an average of 224 grams of methane per day. Uh, some of the preliminary data from, from these animals, we've just done so, some analysis, uh, um, and the preliminary data shows that enteric methane emissions and feed efficiency are negative, negatively correlated. So what does that mean? That means that low methane producing cattle are more feed efficient, so require less feed for gains. So you have feed cost savings as well. Um, and so that, that's a very exciting result. 
So we ranked all these animals and we looked at two cohorts, the two extremes of these animals, and we find that low uh, CH4, low methane emitting animals, produced about 30% less methane uh, and 20 and 30% as well less methane intensity um, relative to the high methane emitting animals. And uh, feed uh, and actually performance was not compromised. So basically the animals were still growing at the same rate. So this, this is very exciting work and this has been written up into uh, an abstract or a summary to be presented at this year's British Society for Animal Science by, by Paul Smith. So have a look out for that. And then looking at the breeding index. So a lot of people listening may be involved in the BDGP and will be familiar with the terminal beef breeding index. So really uh, looking at the relationship between daily methane and the index, we find that animals that have a lower methane yield have a higher ranking on the index. So that means that animals that are in your five stars, four stars, five stars, um, these are actually producing less methane and reducing methane emissions then will allow us to enhance profitability. The next thing I'm going to talk about is multi-species swords. And so this is another area of, of research that could be useful for us uh, for reducing methane emissions. So we know in Ireland, of all places, that grassland pasture grazing is the most sustainable form of livestock production. And cattle, when cattle are fed a high legume uh, portion diet, uh, research has found that there's 20%, up to 20% reductions in methane emissions were observed. We look at white clover. Uh, we can see from work at Moore Park that this increases passage rate through the rumen and could also potentially impact methane emissions intensity because looking at feeding the white clover, um, they got uh, some increased milk yield, milk solids. So this in turn allows us to have lower methane, uh, lower methane uh, intensity. So for the same methane um, production, you're having your know, higher levels of higher levels of, of actual milk production. So that in turn will reduce methane intensity. So it's a win-win situation. And then looking at some pasture herbs, they find that some of the bioactive compounds that are in there are include condensed tannins, uh, and these could be the bioactive. This could be um, the, the compound that is causing the reductions in methane emissions. And there's a lot of, lot of research on that at the moment. Even looking at mixtures of sorrel and oxide daisy and, and other multi-species swords, uh, when these are fed as haylage, that you've seen 10% reductions uh, in methane emissions compared to feeding perennial ryegrass or the normal grass monoculture. So this, this results in improved animal performance, if you to summarize it, uh, with livestock grazing multi-species swords, and also re results, uh, as we see from the research, in having lower methane emissions R and or reduced methane intensity. So that's, that's a win-win situation. But there's also another co-benefit when you're talking about multi-species swords, that there is a potential for dual greenhouse gas abatement as legume inclusion uh, with swords uh, can reduce um, um, nitrogen fertilizer requirement. So it reduces N2O emissions and overall emission intensity of the grassland production. So we, we, we are working in this area at the moment in Chagask and, and Grange and Park. So this would be a potentially another avenue that we could be pursuing in the future. In work that we've done ourselves in collaboration uh, with Park, we looked at the effect of white clover on the abundance of rumen microbes. So the microbes that exist uh, in the rumen of the animal. So Working with, with Georgia Hennessy and colleagues uh, in Moor Park, they found that white clover inclusion resulted in 12% reduction in methane yield, while there was no effect on milk yield. We then looked at some of the microbes, or particularly those methanogens I spoke about earlier, uh, and the abundance of those methanogens in the lab um, in the animal bioscience department. And we found that there was a decrease in the relative abundance of Brevibacter in the white clover compared to the perennial ryegrass. And this was this was a very kind of exciting finding in that, you know, it's looking like clover is affecting the methanogens in the rumen of the animal. And this could be a mechanism of action. And we published these findings with other findings more recently in a in a in a in a journal, uh, the scientific reports, which is a nature uh, nature paper. Now, just talking and moving on to feed additives, and uh, one of the projects that uh, that I'm working on myself is called Methabate. It's funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marines, um, and it's on the development and validation of novel technologies to reduce methane emissions from pasture-based Irish agricultural systems. So this is really trying to develop effective uh, uh, feed additives uh, that can be used on pasture-based systems in Ireland. So. Feed additives, we're trying to find feed additives to mitigate methane emissions, and we're looking to monitor their effects on animal productivity at the same time. So ensuring that there's no negative effects 
um, on animal production. So what kind of feed additives are we looking at? Um, a lot of people would have heard of 3NOP or Bovar by uh, DSM. Seaweeds, uh, and we also have another project I'll talk about in a minute, which is uh, Sea Solutions, that's working on seaweeds and seaweed extracts. Uh, oils, um, halides, uh, yucca extracts, and, and olive feed, uh, feed preparations as well. Um, we also have some tasks within this project that we can try and develop uh, encapsulation. And this is done with, with, with uh, NUI Galway, our partners on the project. They're trying to develop slow release options or slow release boluses that can be delivered at pasture. We're also focusing on the nutritional and toxicological composition of meat and milk to confirm consumer safety, that any additives will have no residues or negative effects on meat or milk production. And of course, to ensure sustainability of the system that, you know, that there's no uh, issues with sustainability in things like seaweeds or the production of these, these additives, we're going to carry out Chagas life cycle analysis. And then an important thing would be um, the farm level cost effectiveness is extremely important. There's no point having a feed additive that works very well if it's too expensive to deliver to farmers. And this will be carried out in collaboration with the National Farm Survey. And the process now of testing a lot of these feed additives in the laboratory. So we have a system called the Rossitech system, which contains rumen fluid, where we're testing these in vitro before going to the more expensive animal trials. And that, that's ongoing in Chagas Grange at the moment uh, with my colleague Stuart, uh, Stuart Kerwin is running that, that part of the project. The next, um, the next step then is basically uh, fine-tuning which are the most effective uh, feed additives in, in vitro, or as we say it, are in the lab, and then bringing those to the animal trials. We have another number of animal uh, trials planned in Athen Rye on sheep, um, in Grange, uh, on beef cattle, and also uh, in Moore Park uh, on dairy cattle in 2022. As I mentioned, one of my uh, colleagues, uh, Dr. Maria Hayes, she is actually leading a project called Sea Solutions, which we're involved in. And this is looking at seaweeds and seaweed ingredients to reduce enteric methane emissions from pasture-based uh, sheep, cattle, and dairy cows. And this is a, um, has a multi-partner European project. Uh, so we're working with, with, with many partners on this. And to date, we have 11 seaweeds screened in vitro for anti-methanogenic properties. Uh, we found no effects on the brown seaweeds, which we see a lot of in Ireland, which would be a good option. We only see reductions in Asparagopsis taxiformis seaweed, which is largely report, highly reported in the literature anyway as being effective. But this would be a very expensive option for us in Ireland. Uh, and future work will allow us to evaluate different seaweed extracts, like the tannins I, we talked about earlier, and peptides um, in the system. I'll just mention um, in Moorpark, they also have the outdoor green feed system as part of Vista Milk, and they're evaluating feed additives and pasture-based systems. And that's Dr. Lauren Chalou in, in Moorpark is carrying out those studies, working with Katie Strasmore, and that's part of the Vista Milk project. Uh, next, I'm gonna talk about, you hear a lot uh, in the media and elsewhere, is on the metrics for measuring methane. So, as I mentioned earlier, the IPCC measures methane using global warming potential 100. And this is the current metric used to assess the impact of methane on climate change. This equates to one GHG units to its CO2 equivalent averaged over a period of 100 years time horizon. And this gives methane a GWP of 28, according to the IPCC, which carries out our inventory, which, which basically uh, calculates these metrics and tells us what metrics we should be using. We find though, however, and this is reported in a lot of the literature and some of the papers I mentioned here, Alan uh, in, from Oxford uh, and Lynch is part of that team as well. And they're basically saying uh, that it fails to account for the short-lived atmospheric persistence of methane, which is roughly about nine years relative to other GHGs. And this is important to consider because you see N2O and CO2 lasting, you know, hundreds, hundreds of years uh, anyway in the, in the atmosphere. So what we're saying is, does this overestimate the contribution of methane to long-term radiation forcing or temperature change, which is ultimately the measure uh, that we're looking at in terms of the IPCC? So there's a new metric that uh, people are talking about. It's called GWP star. And this is a useful indication of warming and means of assessing alternative uh, mitigation uh, strategies. So GWP star is an alternative uh, metric uh, that's potentially going to be assessed uh, here that should be used, but that we cannot just simply start using it. It will have to be assessed uh, by the IPCC and uh, it will have to be agreed by the UNFCC. So currently uh, the FAO uh, as part of LEAP are going to assess 
um, this metric as a, as, a, as a measure of methane emission. It will be compared to WP100. But still, even with this, we still have to reduce methane emissions uh, and develop uh, mitigation strategies. So this is a useful paper if anyone's interested in this topic. Um, it's by Lynch et al. It's about GWP star. As another role as part of my research, I'm also wearing another hat. It's the co-chair of the Livestock Research Group of the Global Research Alliance for Climate Change, which basically is funded by the New Zealand government. Uh, and now we have another co-chair from the UK as well. And really, we um, are, are, it's part of this Global Research Alliance for Climate Change. It covers like 65 countries. And the agenda really is to grow more food without increasing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and I work with um, my colleague in the Department of Agriculture, John Harrison. He is the Irish rep as well, so that we can actually be involved in some of these discussions. Um, the GRA overall plays a big role in research and, and trying to bring the research application through networks. Uh, and we have a number of networks that we coordinate. It's the, we have networks on manure management, on rumen microbiome, on feed and uh, feed network, uh, genetics network, um, and animal health network. And there's lots of scientists working within those networks, trying to come up with solutions, working together, writing up projects together, and it's very, very effective. Um, and I would recommend to any researchers out there, our, our industry partners, to get involved in the GRA. But this role allows Ireland to have a role in discussions uh, in GHG mitigation, tier progression, uh, and the national GHG inventories. And I suppose it's also got us involved in, in the United Nations FAO, where the discussions on there, we write reviews and, and get involved as well with uh, LEAP, the Livestock Environmental Assessment and Performance Partnership, which is likely where the GWP star will be assessed. So this is the GRA. So just to summarize, I just don't want to go over time. And uh, to summarize today, I'll say that, that methane is a potent agricultural greenhouse gas. Uh, we are under national and international commitments to significantly reduce it. The first thing to do would be to enhance farm efficiency. But we also have, on top of that, some promising research currently ongoing in Chagask, in elsewhere and around the world on developing mitigation strategies, um, breeding strategies, feed additives and potentially the inclusion of multi-species swords and potentially using these together. Also things to be aware of is, is the methane metrics. And I, and I do believe there will be some work on assessing some alternative metrics uh, in the future. Uh, but in saying that we still need to, to, to develop mitigation strategies and to reduce methane significantly. And I think it's important for us to stay in touch with, you know, and have international collaboration important for Ireland and particularly to link in you know with other grass-based countries like New Zealand and we're going to have a speaker from New Zealand uh, next week who's going to tell us some of the things that are going on in New Zealand Sinead Leahy but she's also involved in the, in the GRA so that's it. Thank you Sinead that was really excellent run through of the enormous work that's going on in this area and congratulations to you and the team your team for for the amount of work uh, and, and output that you've achieved over recent years. Um, huge amount of work going in into this area of feed additives. Uh, just Sinead, if you could sh uh, maybe stop sharing your, your screen oh, there. Yeah. Um, right. The um, uh, My question was in relation to, yes, uh, the whole area of feed additives and you know how yeah. confident are you uh, that this area of work is going to actually deliver uh, reductions in, in methanes over the next 10 yeah. years? Yeah, um, so in, in some of the projects we have ongoing now, we're seeing some very good uh, promising candidates coming through from the lab and that will have to be tested, of course, um, in animals. If we look at the literature, we can see from one of those feed additives, for example, the, the 3NOP from, from DSM, this is a feed additive that has shown consistently around the world that you can reduce methane emissions by at, at the minimum 30%. It can sometimes, if you feed a higher level, can go up to 41% or more. And I think they're trying to develop now as well. They're working with us in, in Methabate, but they're trying to develop a slow release option that could be delivered at pasture. And we would be testing that within our project. But if that was, in our, the, the only thing I would see is, is to get it sufficiently cheap, you know, so that it can be delivered on farm. That would be, the, I, I, I definitely think it will work because it has worked in other jurisdictions. Uh, I think that, it, so with the slow release option, I think that's the way they will get it sufficiently cheap to be delivered uh, for us here. 
Um, there are other options coming through as well um, that are looking promising uh, in the lab that are reducing methane emissions quite significantly. Uh, and these will be tested, as I say, in, uh, in sheep and in cattle. And we're also going to look at maybe um, having using two additives or three additives together if that was you know potentially an option to see if they had any additive effects um and we're also going to do some experiments where we're going to uh, feed the feed additives on multi-species swords to see if there's additive effects there um so yeah i think with a slow release option um you know and that could be delivered in the, in the dairy sector on pasture that that would be a very good option for us i would i would be confident by maybe you know 2025 that we would have some solutions hopefully that sounds very exciting. Uh, I know there's a lot of concern about, you know, the use of seaweed and the ecolo mm. ecological impact of, of harvesting seaweed. Um, yeah. But I think the longer term goal is to, to create a synthetic version of, of those. Is that right? Yeah. So we hear an awful lot about seaweed um, in the media and elsewhere. And some of the seaweeds, for example, Asparagopsis taxiformis, I spoke about there, the red seaweed that's kind of used, it's been tested in Australia and Canada that can reduce methane emissions quite significantly, like up to 70%, uh, you can see in some studies. Uh, and absolutely, you know, that's, that's grand, but the red seaweed for us, if we were to purchase that here, would be just, you know, we, we couldn't afford it. It wouldn't, it's not an option. The other side of it is that some of these seaweeds contain compounds like bromoform that are potentially, you know, carcinogenic to, you know, if the residues got into the meat or milk that you could have bromoform, um, you know, and that is a carcinogen essentially. So that would have to be tested for, for human safety. Uh, they say internationally, in some studies that they don't detect it, but we would absolutely have to here in the EU, definitely have to have to test that for residues uh, in the mil milk and meat products. Um, but I think absolutely sustainability is an issue. Can we produce enough seaweed in Ireland to feed all the animals? I just think it's 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 a I think the way forward, uh, and it's through some of the work that um, Dr. My, my colleague Dr. Maria Hayes is doing in Sea Solutions. We're working with her on that. Is trying to to uh, she's doing some very nice work on characterising the seaweeds and looking at the components of those seaweeds and extracts. And we're going to test those now, actually, in the coming weeks. Um, in the laboratory for their anti-methanogenic um, ability. So if we hit on an extract that's very effective at reducing methane, we can potentially produce that synthetically, and that could potentially be an option for reducing methane emissions. I think that's the best route to take. A question here in relation to, I suppose, the efficiency element. I mean, uh, one of our viewers here agrees mm -hmm. with all of your points, but surely it has to be in the context of stable herd is the, the question here. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. And that always comes up. You know, we see, oh, we should just reduce the, the herd. Um, I think that, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend anything, anything drastic in terms of re reducing the herd. Uh, and I can appreciate it, it depends on, you know, the, the herd size, um, you know, the total methane emissions. But I think that, you know, based even if, if it is a stable size, the herd, we do need mitigation strategies. And if we can reduce sufficiently, um, you know, that, that that can't be compromised, you know. Okay, the, the questions are coming thick and fast, Sinead, so I think we'll, <laughs> we'll try, probably try to, to have a condensed responses sure. if possible. No and I should have introduced our colleague Pat Murphy uh, earlier on. Pat is our head of knowledge transfer on the environment program and based down in Wexford and you're you're going to help us out with questions, Pat. A lot of questions coming, huge degree of interest here in this topic, Pat. Yep. Uh, yeah, a huge number of diverse questions. Uh, do some breeds of animals uh, produce more uh, methane than, than, than others, or is it more an interbreed or an intrabreed variation? Yeah, so in, in Tully, this would be a, a good opportunity to study that, Pat, because we get lots of breeds coming through there. Just looking at our own data from, from my student there, Paul Smith is doing a lot of work um, looking at the different breeds. And we are seeing just from preliminary data is that like the limousine looks to produce uh, slightly less methane than some of the other breeds, Charlie's and others. But as I say, we'll have to do a full statistical analysis on that. But it looks like there's some, some breeds are in fact producing less methane. Okay, and there's a, a question on uh, the difference between a high concentrate and, and high grass diets mm -hmm. uh, and noting that you, you uh, a lot of the research has been done on high concentrate, but, but yes. what's, the, the, well, what's the findings in relation to that or, or what's it telling us? 
Yeah, so generally we find, say, less methane produced on, on forage-based diets, and we have a very efficient, say, grass-based system in Ireland. So on grass, they should produce less methane. But what we, what I said there earlier, and it's very true, is if we find, you know, something that's successful, it has to be uh, validated in pasture-based systems. Uh, and because you will get re-ranking. If you look even at something like feed efficiency, uh, and you you measure animals for feed efficiency and you put them out on pasture, you will get some level of re-ranking. So the same is true for methane because it's, I suppose, it's directly linked to intake as well. So we will, and I, that's a very good question. So be it if we develop breeding strategies, these will have to be tested in pasture. Uh, if we have a an additive, and that's why we are going to the route we're going, testing in the lab, going to sheep and beef, and then testing a pasture uh, with dairy as well. How to validate across the species. So it, it is a good point. Uh, a question there about the quality of the uh, fodder that we're feeding to our animals. Are you seeing differences between low quality silages and, and hays versus high quality uh, feed? Yeah, we haven't assessed that, uh, but we, we will be we will be when we actually get to the, the beef trials because we're going to do some new different types of, of diets. Uh, and that's the point that, that I made earlier that the diet is a very, very important factor in this because I guess it's directly linked to, to fermentation or digestion in the room and that's how methane is produced. So you, we, I wouldn't imagine that you will see differences on the diets. An interesting question. Uh, uh, most, you say most of your research is on finishing animals. What about the suckler cow itself? And I suppose there's a, an issue there where you're not, or you're less likely to be feeding a dish or a, 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 a supplemental feed to those dairy cows. Is there anything we can do there? So uh, yeah, that's a good question. In some future studies, we are going to actually be feeding younger animals and uh, and the suckler cow. That's part of some of the work we're going to be doing actually um, in a, a, a later on. But there will be ways to get the supplement into feed. You know, um, just even like some of the supplements are just like you know a quarter of a teaspoon of the additive. And you can get it in even if it's younger animals to even potentially dose them, you know, some way early in life. But there, there will be a mechanism to get it into the animal, absolutely. Because these we're working with industry, industry, and they'll definitely want to get their product developed for all types of animals. Question here about what do you mean by, by slow release and why is it necessary? Okay, that's a good question. So when animals are out of pasture, you might have an opportunity to bring them in to give them the additive. So what they want is basically a uh, an option that you have the feed additive in the rumen of the animal. So feed it, it's encapsulated, that it's released gradually over time. So there is encapsulation processes that can you can do to, to do that like into a bolus. So the animal is given the bolus maybe once every three months uh, and it's slowly released over that period of time uh, so that it can be effective while they're out of grass. A question there, at what percentage of clover uh, did you start to see some positive uh, uh, impacts on the on the diet? Oh, sorry, on so, the emissions. Yeah, I'd have to look back at that period, but, but it's roughly when I think from like about 20, 25 percent around that kind of thing. Um, that's uh, some of the work at Moore Park. We didn't really look at percentage. It was actually like a mixed um, uh, perennial ryegrass uh, and clover and then compared to perennial ryegrass. Um, but around from about 25% onwards, I believe. Okay, uh, um, a question there in relation to, um, sorry, I've lost it here. Uh, oh yeah, in terms of, of you mentioned life cycle assessment in relation mm. to seaweed, uh, what do you mean in relation to that? So, you know, some, if you look at seaweed production and seaweed, if we're producing lots of seaweed, seaweed also produces other greenhouse gases such as ozone. So you want to make sure that in the production of your feed additive, that you're not generating more greenhouse gases. That's just an example for seaweed. So there might be some um, environmental cost to producing some of these seaweeds and we, or, or some of these additives, and you don't want that. You don't want to have added. So that's why a full um, life cycle assessment will have to be have to be done. An interesting question here, the uh, potential impact of, the, uh, of the, the products that we're looking at, uh, it, it, we're looking at it very much from a grass-based uh, system, other countries are looking at it more from uh, obviously the, the indoor feeding system. Which system do, do these technologies provide most advantage to and 
will it change the, the, the relative uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions of the two systems? Yeah, so there's only more recent work in, the person is right, a lot of the work has been done, say, indoors on finishing animals or, you know, on high concentrate diets. Um, so less, there's been less work done on pasture-based systems. And that's why this project, Metabate, is going to analyse that, as well as, as Lawrence's project in, in Vista Milk. He's looking at, um, at um, say, dairy cows outdoors on grass. And I think we'll have a lot more answers after that. And, and you're right, that's more important for us. For New Zealand, they're also looking at um, you know grass-based systems, so they're looking at feed additives outdoors. Um, and I would agree, a lot of the previous research was done indoors, so on concentrate diets. So we'll have some data, um, you know, uh, coming up in the next couple of years on that. Uh, a couple of questions in relation to the long-term impact and the, the I suppose the the uh, animal welfare impact of these products fed on a long-term basis. Any initial findings or initial observations in relation to it well what i'd say is that from the studies done internationally is that you like that's very important and we will be monitoring of course for animal health and welfare that's critically important like we're monitoring for performance there hasn't been anything really shown internationally on some of the additives that were tested but these additives would have to go through a process beforehand to show they were safe so, you know, that would be critically important. Even for us here, we'd have to go through the Department of Agriculture, make sure, and, and, and through our ethics committee and then through HIPRA. So we actually would ensure that that's critically important and that that would be, that would be assessed before, before we even start a trial. Two, but we would absolutely be monitoring. We would be monitoring for those. There's two other additives we mentioned here, Sinead, um, biochar, charcoal, I presume they're... they're... Close, mm. close relations uh, has is there any uh, data sh- showing the effects of these in terms of methane production yeah i know there's some trials going on and um but i haven't seen um very much data on that yet mark we're not assessing it within our project but like if there was some opportunity maybe from industry it, it could be facilitated but um i haven't seen very much data from from the biochar uh, side of things but i do know the research is ongoing in relation to the GW star, a lot of questions and interest yeah. in terms of the timeline or potential timeline there for, for this yeah. coming into to actual policy. Um, yeah. I suppose that's a, it's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I actually raised this issue in, in, as part of my work on the GRA um, at our annual meeting. Um, and I said, you know, for countries like Ireland, it could be, could be important. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue here is, is, as of course, everyone knows it's, it's a short um, you know, lifetime of, of methane in the atmosphere compared to CO2 and N2O, and that needs to be addressed. Um, we, we will not be able to change that here ourselves. It'll have to be done through the IPCC. Mm-hmm. So really what's going to happen is, which is great, as we does, uh, we have actually contact with the LEAP, which uh, is part of the FAO uh, in in Rome, and they're going to assess uh, whether this is an option. So they do a lot of modelling and they they carry out they, they do direct they're going to do some direct comparisons between GWP 100 and GWP star. So there were some very interesting presentations on that in September, um, and our own Minister for Agriculture actually gave a, a short talk at one of those presentations, and, and that will be actually addressed in the future under under that banner. And I think data from that then will feed into the IPCC. I suppose it doesn't get away from the fact, though, that we still have to reduce methane. Absolutely. I think it's not a, a get out of jail card. It's uh, not. And I, I, yeah, I, I think we, we can't be naive here either, because, you know, I think it doesn't matter. You know, we still it will still be a way that we're going to measure and look at mitigation strategies under GWP star. So if we get it, if that comes through or, or, or maybe a variant of it, you know, a type of GWP star, we will we'll still have to reduce methane emissions. You can't get around it. But we are potentially being penalised heavily, you know, as well. You know, so we just need to have a, a balanced view of it. You mentioned uh, methane intensity in your presentation, uh, Sinead, yeah. and it probably deserves a whole uh, talk on its own. But I mean, this is mm. a really crucial uh, point, yes. isn't it, in the whole greenhouse gas debate, uh, you know, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, vegan diets versus, um, you know, meat or milk or uh, animal yeah. diets. Yeah, so methane intensity, yeah, so methane intensity as a way of measuring methane is based on the product you're producing at the end of the day. So 
like um, there's no point really in measure. It's a very important measurement of methane because you should be totally focused on, you know, per, you know, milk protein and, um, and beef per kilogram of beef. So really there are our metrics. So it's important to, that's our output from agriculture. So we need to be, I suppose, cognizant of the fact of how much methane, methane we're producing per output. So that's why it is an important, and I think people are expressing uh, methane emissions in that format, um, you know, in, in research and in conferences uh, because of, of that importance. Like, just a just a reminder to everybody that the presentation today's presentation and recording of. Uh, the webinar will be available on the Chagask uh, webinar page. Uh, so uh, if you, just a few questions coming in on that. Pat, a few more mm. questions there, I think. Yeah, I suppose the the uh, a, a couple of questions in relation to multi-species sward and and the the, the mechanism of, of that you see that the uh, is having the impact. Have you any idea what it is? Is yeah, I think, uh, Pat, really that it's uh, potentially some of the tannins and the bioactives in, say, some of these, like clovers or herbs. So um, that's um, that's similar to the seaweeds. That's something that could be assessed. But I think with, with multi-species swarms, we can get many benefits, as I said in, there in the presentation, because you can get an increase in production and also it limits the amount of uh, in uh, you know fertilizer that we need to use, so there's lots of cool benefits with the multi-species swarms. I think, you know. I suppose a lot of questions about the the the, the size of the national herd and oh yeah, of course. Whether there's uh, enough in the long-term uh, reduction through methane to offset mm -hmm. the the to the levels that we need to achieve the type of objectives that that are there. So I suppose. What a lot of the questions are alluding to is where do you see the the potential or to what level do you see the potential either under the current measurement system or the GDPR star uh, to try and get us to where we need to be? What kind of, of hope do you have for yeah. the capacity of methane to, to contribute to uh, reductions from, from uh, bovine animals, uh, ruminant animals, I suppose? Yeah, so I guess, you know, we'd be all very reluctant to start, you know, reducing the, the national herd. Um, I think we need to look into some of the strategies that we have. And as I said, you know, okay, farm efficiency, that's the first thing. Second thing is with breeding, we see already in the data coming from Tully that you can, there's a difference between the highs and the lows of about 30% uh, in methane emissions. And that's both methane output and intensity. So that's that's very promising that you could potentially have a breeding strategy. Uh, on top of that, you have the feed additives. We could potentially have a 30% reduction if we've three up and that works as well in, in for Irish production systems. And then there's an added benefit if you have those animals that are of say the five star, the high EBI, or that are bred, uh, for for low methane emissions, if you have those animals on with an additive and on you know multi-species swore diet for some of the year, or some of the time, that potentially we could reach what we are looking for in this. So if you combine all the the strategies together, and we're actually probably a very important juncture in that you know in the next couple of years, some of the research will be coming out of these projects, be it our own projects, our Vista Milk Green Breed, the work from Tully. And I, I guess a combination of those is what's you know going to work, you know. But some some feed additives are very promising compared to others, and I suppose it's getting to the stage that they're validated in the beef and dairy cattle uh, is what we need to get to. But I, I would be optimistic. Okay, a more straightforward question. There's a number of people have asked about the impact of of earlier calving and uh, earlier slaughter. How does that have an impact? Well, that has an impact because the animal is on the ground for less time producing methane, I guess. So there's less days alive, um, say for producing similar output of, of, of beef. Um, it, that means that it would have produced less methane. Uh, a, a question in, in relation to the, um, I suppose the, the, the correspondence between the in vitro studies and, and in vivo studies, are you getting a high level of correspondence when you're uh, progressing from one to the other? Yeah, we haven't we haven't carried out for in Metabate now we haven't gone to the animal trial work yet. Okay. So we can only go on say international studies. They won't be exactly the same, but it is the, the Rossi Check system, the system that we have in place that mimics the rumen is, you know, it's a very good system in terms of it's rumen fluid from, from cattle or that's in there and it just mimics it. So there should be some correspondence anyway. 
uh, any work on some of the, the older breeds or the, 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 is there anything from the breed side which indicates bringing back other breeds that might have uh, uh, disappeared over the last uh, number of years? Um, well, like we haven't, yeah. Or... Yeah, look, we haven't looked at those, but yeah. uh, we could potentially <laughs> in the future. Uh, we're seeing some differences in, in breeds. Um, we'd like to have more data before we'd say anything about that. But um, yeah, potentially, I have, we haven't looked at those breeds, so I, I can't comment, I suppose, on it. Yeah. I think uh, we've covered most, a lot of the questions coming through today have, you know, Very efficient similar themes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose, I mean, mm. that, that question that keep, we keep coming back to during this entire series is the, the, uh, the, the cow numbers or animal mm. numbers in the country. And I guess... If we're, you know, honest, I mean, obviously there has to be at some point there has to be some form of a, uh, you know, that the expansion can't continue forever. Mm. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the, the research and the efficiencies will bring us so far. Sure. So um, I think it, it will be disingenuous of us to to say this. Oh, yeah. Uh, this week. I, I think um, I think as well, like we can just generate the research and the results. And I think right. it'll be up to policymakers to decide on that. I don't think that's really our remit in this. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's yeah. really, I mean, and and, and, and this is why maybe some people think we're being uh, sidestepping the issue in some degree. But in fact, it is quite like you say, it, it is a, a decision for policymakers to, course, to make. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, but I mean, uh, there there's a... Simple, simple arithmetic uh, sure. that goes goes on there. Um, Sinead, I, I think mm. you know we've we've covered most of of the areas. I mean that that uh, through questions and, and your presentation there. But in mm. in terms of like casting your eye ten years down down the line, um, you know what 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 do we see as the the animal of the future? Um, you know, in in your mind, uh, with with all of the the different uh, work that's going on in genetics and, and uh, on the environments yeah. that the, those animals are, are are living in. Yeah, I think that you know, even if you look at um, dairy production, like they've come an awful long way with the breeding. So, and I think you know we can similarly you know, across beef and dairy potentially be breeding for low methane emissions with the research that's going on. And I suppose the really good setups that are in working you know collaboratively with the ICBF on that, and you know the methane measurement. Um, equipment that we've in place uh, and I think you know we're, we're really you know improving things that way so if you had an animal that is you know bred for low methane emissions and high feed efficiency because that goes hand in hand with it because that will reduce feed costs you know which is very very important and enhance profitability so that's the kind of animal you'd have of the future and you know if we, if we need then added you know feed, feed additives will become I think you know less costly and integrated into the feed uh, be it for you know during concentrate feeding or as a slow release bolus for when animals are out of pasture, uh, that's the way I would see it. And that multi-species forwards then could be part of the system, you know, for a certain time of the year, um, you know, when, when animals are out. So because you know that that's that that would be a way to maximise the additive effects. And of course, there has to be continued, um, you know, farm efficiency. Uh, and, you know, um, I see it myself, you know, it, it, it particularly, I say, in, you know, small, you know, sucker beef farms, you know, to become more really, I suppose, efficient in uh, management practices. And that would, they would need help with that, I think, you know. And so just, I think it's efficiency combined with, with breeding, combined with potential feed additive and, and the correct diets as well. You know what I mean? That they're, that they're beyond. And, you know, in some cases, you know, early age to slaughter, all, all these kind of things. Okay, brilliant. Okay, Sinead, uh, we're right out of time. Um, thank you so much for, for your time today and uh, the effort you put into the presentation. I know you, you, you have broken down some complex issues there for us. So okay, hopefully. Uh, we, we do appreciate that. Um, so just before we, we wrap up, I just want to share details of a conference or a virtual conference uh, that Chagisk is uh, hosting in collaboration with uh, the Scottish Royal College. Uh, this is taking place on the the 9th of uh, February, uh, it takes place uh, via Zoom and you can get full details on the Chagisk website. And the topic that's been dealt with is the whole uh, role of digital in uh, supporting the green 
uh, or natural uh, sustainable recovery of, of uh, the economy. So we do encourage you to, to sign up for that uh, if you have time. Um, so uh, with that, I just want to thank our production team, uh, Andy Boland, uh, Yvonne Maher, uh, Catherine Keena, Pat Murphy, uh, and uh, thank you for viewing our, our series today. We've uh, uh, huge uh, following on the series, so we really welcome your support. And uh, until next week, we're going to be talking uh, about the New Zealand situation and uh, we'll be having perspectives uh, from our colleagues who are in a similar climate to ourselves and similar issues, facing similar issues. So it'll be great to hear uh, that, that experience. So do join us next Friday at half past nine uh, for uh, the Signpost series. So with that, thanks again, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.